and welcome to this month's podcast, The Horton Hangout. You're here with Laura Horton and Michael Bentley. Hello, listeners, and thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, everybody. We had a really um, some great questions last month, and we've actually seen a spike uh, of questions coming through to us, uh, which is great. Uh, so hopefully we have enough time to answer today. We've got five really good questions that we've picked out. Usually we only get to answer four. So we're putting ourselves under a bit of pressure today, aren't we, Michael? We are indeed. Now, let me give you an insight to the questions that we have been asked about today. They're very interesting. We've got some uh, communication questions. We've got questions um, which are very much HR related. We've got questions about marketing. We have another one, uh, well, two about marketing, really. And uh, yeah, so there's lots of uh, interesting, varied questions here to help everybody. And the first one that uh, has come up, which we thought must be a huge problem quite a lot of the time for, for many practices, and it's something that everyone's encountered. And the question is, what is the best way to communicate with a patient with little or no English? Now, I will never forget as a young girl, when I used to temp as a dental nurse across London, and I used to go to a community um, place in Hackney, and I they used to go on Tuesdays and Tuesdays is also known as translator day and that's when a translator would be sent into the clinic to support the dentists uh, and the hygienists there as well uh, with their patients and the communication uh, because it was absolutely essential there was no way um, these you know any successful communication was going to happen otherwise the majority of the patients would always attend with a friend, you know, perhaps a, a colleague, family member um, who could speak some English. But the majority of the patients that were booked in on the Tuesday actually couldn't speak a word of English. And I remember as a young girl thinking I was so naive to not, you know, to just assume that everyone spoke English. And it was a really good day. And, you know, it was really enjoyable that day uh, as a dental nurse. It was very challenging for everybody involved, but absolutely wonderful day. And I'm going back, I'm going back about 20 years. Shush, don't tell anybody. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> now things have come a long way. They really have. And, you know, particularly with the CQC in England, RQIA in Northern Ireland, we've got HIW. Uh, coming through inspections, making their way through through Wales. And I think, you know, the last few years, um, capacity has been such a great subject for people to learn about, discuss and actively become involved in. And, and I think that's a really positive thing, don't you, Mike? Yeah, I think it is very positive. And, you know, I love your story, by the way. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think you know, one of those things that now we recognize what it actually is called it's allowed people to get themselves organized and that's what it's all about it's always been there as you said you know over the last 20 years we've all gone through um translator you know concerns and also you know i have dealt with patients that are blind patients that are you know deaf as well and there is a different way to communicate with both of those groups as well so it's not just about you know the fact that people don't speak english is it it's about having the capacity to make a decision about 
while you were at the dental practice can you make a decision about your treatment today do you understand what's happening and we all know as well that some people have medical conditions that change capacity um you know it could be somebody you know that has got early dementia or you know is a little bit forgetful so we have to remember those patients and we also need to think about you know patients that you know have got this language barrier you know as the uh, you know the question or the the person that's you know asked the question has got so it's really important that first and foremost when we're having a conversation with a patient we've got to make sure that they can understand us and they do understand what we're saying and what i would say is you need to be doing some you know understanding and some confirmation questions to clarify where a patient is and you can turn that round and you can say to the patient what do you understand and that is a really big thing that if you ask a patient what they understand then you're going to get an idea whether they have got capacity and whether they can retain the information and i would say there's another group that come into this area as well which is nervous patients and i know that laura and i you know done so much treatment coordination over the years that one of the groups that look like they've got no capacity whatsoever are patients that are shaking crying um and and you know it's it's enough for them just to sit in a dental um room uh, and that's quite a lot for them to take on board and i've met loads of patients where there's not even a dental chair in that room and they're shaking uncontrollably and are crying as well so it's really really important that you know capacity is not just about the fact that you don't speak english so that's mm. the problem yeah um it's actually it actually encompasses such a big thing and you know if you are unsure you do need to do a capacity assessment and doing a capacity assessment means asking a range of questions to confirm what support you need to provide for a patient and that could be a translator that could be braille that could be large print that could be um having somebody with them to support them it could be let's deal with your emotion first before we start you know talking to you about you know let let us tell you what we know about a root therapy treatment we're so busy in practice thinking about i have the solution let me communicate it to you that we forget that actually the patient needs time to understand the concern and we do need to use different language um, to bring that over but i really applaud the practices that are really working hard in this area and you know people are going on sign language courses you know literature is already ready braille's already in the practice they've got translators because they know that their practice has got turkish people or polish people or you know people that speak um you know different languages and i think that's really really important and some people are nominating people and going what languages do you speak and you know and and having that across but i mean i remember us working with a uh, practice in london do you remember this laura where you know actually they're working with a lot of chinese patients mm. and they like bowing don't they do you remember that yeah and we had you know a couple of people on a course that said well we don't we don't do bowing we do don't don't do bowing and we were like actually it's about you know making sure that you've got the people in the practice that are right for the people you know that are coming to you and if you know patients you know need a bow because they are chinese and it's part of their you know 
what they need as a patient, then we should be doing that. We should be facilitating what patients need. And I think that's all about capacity, isn't it? It's all about people feeling confident and comfortable to make a decision about their dentistry. So it's a huge, huge subject and one that we need to recognise that is there. And I think it doesn't matter whether you are a treatment coordinator, front desk professional, a nurse or a, a clinical provider, we all have a responsibility to be confirming that the patients do understand what's going on. And if they don't, then it needs flagging up. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And it's very much about respect, respecting your patients as individuals. You know, this you know place that I used to go and temp on Tuesdays, um, it was community. So what was happening to those patients is they were presenting themselves in you know general practice and the GDPs are going, well, I can't talk to you, so you've got to go somewhere else and refer them to community. And, okay, yeah, community had the solution, so that was great. But I, I wouldn't imagine that happens so much uh, as, it, as it does now. It's very much about respecting everybody. And I was in a practice just recently in in the Hertfordshire area and lovely private practice uh, very very nice and between three team members there were seven different languages spoken and I, I just thought that was absolutely amazing um really thought it was great so it's great for them when they you know are able to identify that there's a barrier in communication due to a language uh, because they've got seven different languages in their practice. And that wasn't something they actually recruited for. It's just happened by chance. So, uh, so it's really interesting and, and really, you know, really big, big subject. Yeah, definitely on a capacity course, that's really important, mm-hmm. update your knowledge. And I would just say, don't forget the people that, you know, like, you know, blind patients, um, you know, and patients that can't hear and, you know, the nervous patients. I think those are three groups that get forgotten really quickly. Yeah. You know, we concentrate on ones that don't speak our language or have got dementia. Yeah. Those are the two top ones you think about. But actually, I know in my practice that we had a lot of deaf patients and because we had developed a really good relationship, I used to do a little bit of sign language, but also I, I learned how to do good eye contact and to speak slowly and clearly. And I had so many um, patients that were understood what I was talking about, but you had to have the right environment. And even just mentioning to people, you know, when this person walks in, give them eye contact, don't look away. We're so busy looking and typing or <laughs> yeah. things like that. And, and that capacity isn't it yeah you know at the end of the day so you know as long as you recognize that it's more than just they've got dementia um you know and it's a language barrier there's a lot more to it than that 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 pie circle is a lot larger and uh, that's what practices miss I think the easy wins really yeah definitely definitely so we're going to move on to a um, marketing question now and the one that's come through the first one says we're looking to develop B2B relationships, as we know this is a low-cost way to get new patients into the practice, but where should we start? So great question, right up um, right up my street, definitely. So B2B is business to business for those of you um, who aren't aware. And the basis of it is that you have other businesses recommending you and bringing patients across to you not physically bringing them into your into your surgery but recommending them through their own business and the activity that they they have with these clients 
And great examples would be um, some health clubs, depending upon the type of health club. And it very much uh, would have to be a health club approach, not a gym necessarily. Uh, hairdressers are a number one. Beauticians are, a, a, you know, a, a number definitely to, to look at. But for me, it's about working with the right business and um, people with the same attitude. It's it's got to be a two-way street. You've got to be able to recommend that business as well. So don't think, you know, you can say to a hairdresser's, oh, we'd really like you to recommend everyone and they'll do that without you doing them a favor in return. Now, in our top free referral sources every month, um, B2B was always in our top free. And our local health clubs, hairdressers would be referring patients that were worth thousands and thousands of pounds every single month. So it's definitely an opportunity for practices. And the reason practices don't normally go down this path is because actually it may cost you less as a financial investment but the time investment is huge. And if you're going to do this, you have to be able to consistently put the time into this. And you need to start with networking. So you need to attend various different networking groups to allow you to find other businesses that will want to work in the same way as you. You know, And you have to get on well with the managers, the owners. That's really important. And once you've been at networking groups and you think you may have found some people, you need to go meet with them one to one, create a plan of what it is that you'd like to do for them, communicate that to them of how you can help and then discuss how you'd like them to help you. So don't ever go to one of these places and say, oh, hello, Mr. Hairdresser, I'd like you to send me loads of patients, please. And they say, well, what can you do for me? And you say, oh, what do you want? It's not very professional. So definitely be prepared. And then you've got to continue to nurture that relationship. So you've got to thank them for recommending people to you. Obviously, you've got to have consent to use people's names. You've got to meet up with them regularly, take them out for a cup of tea, cup of coffee, you know, help them if they need help. And an example of help would be a health club that we used to work with in Essex. It was local to the practice. And my boss, Ash, used to go there as well. And they were really behind on their target one month. And uh, they called and said, any chance you can help us out? We're really behind. We're approaching the middle of the month. It's not looking good. Would you be able to give out the day passes uh, and weekly passes to all of your patients that are coming through the door? And we said, absolutely, yes. So it really helped to get more footfall, you know, into their business that month. So it's got to be a win-win relationship. But the investment in time that you need is huge and this will normally fall on the practice manager and if there's one thing practice managers don't have enough of it's time isn't it Michael? <laughs> yeah definitely and uh, I, I agree with everything you said and uh, it, it, it is about creating the right relationships for your individual town as well and making sure that they, the brand experience that you deliver is the one that you've got this relationship with and uh, we had a really good relationship with a, a couple of boutiques in our area you know that sold really nice designer clothes and things like that because you know they were a really good group for us for you know teeth straightening and facial aesthetics um, so we had a, a nice relationship uh, there and uh, also don't forget your clubs as well so um, Martin Jay and I were in a running club 
and everybody talked to us about dentistry in this running club so we had a you know we 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 supported the uh, running club in our area and uh, they supported us and we got so many new clients in the running club and uh, vice versa you know we'd end up like oh do you want to be part of the running club so you know that's a really interesting relationship so i think cycling clubs work really well because a lot of the dentistry into cycling aren't they and also the golf clubs you know if you think about your patients oh my goodness we had so many people from like the golf club uh, it was unbelievable and they be, they called them like themselves the golf set and that worked really well for a, for a b2b as well so you know i think it, don't i mean i think hairdressers are obvious and things like that but i think all these other clubs that dentists are already a part of you know they're the brand aren't they the face of the brand they work really really well and those relationships are already there so they don't need you know a, as much time as the practice manager would need to develop a brand new relationship with a, a local business in your town. Absolutely, absolutely. So if you do have local places you're already a part of, just take advantage of that relationship without a doubt. The next question is from a new practice manager, speaking of practice managers. And the question is, what are the top legalities I should learn more about as a new manager? Well, hopefully... Hopefully you're already aware of, of of so much and hopefully that's been part of your induction as a new practice manager because there is just so much that you need to know. And I'm going to delete a word from that question. This practice manager has asked, what are the top legalities? There aren't any top legalities. They're all as equally important as each other. And I think that's something to embrace and, and, and remember going forward that there's not one thing that takes a higher priority um, or one thing that you should neglect in case of something else. And it may be a case of prioritizing and understanding what's already in place in the business so that you can prioritize what you need to focus on to get everything to the correct level. If it needs to get to the correct level, who knows? You may have been taking over a manager's role where everything's already fantastic for you and you just need to keep momentum. Um, but but there's so much uh, that you need to focus on. You know, we don't know where you're based. So you could be in CQC, RQIA, HIW. We don't know where you're based <clears throat> uh, from the question that you've sent over. Um, but the basics of health and safety, you know, caution. I think one of the really big things, Michael, is risk assessments, isn't that? Yeah, I would say there's two things to this question. Number one, this person needs a job description of the role of the practice manager first yeah, and foremost definitely. and to do a gap analysis of what you know what you what skills you brought in because again we don't know what those skills are yeah. and you know the gaps in your knowledge and of course hr is a massive gap um in people's knowledge so disciplinary grievance setting up capabilities making sure the systems are right in practice doing appropriate meetings in practice as well um making sure that contracts are right job descriptions to other team members these are all the obvious ones that we find appraisals are being implemented uh, and maintained you know the necessary pdps are in place i mean there's so much stuff uh, just in those two sentences and there might be finance you know areas that are missing marketing that are missing working on the patient experience there's just so much stuff now that needs to be looked at and you're quite right laura risk assessments is another area so if you are in the uk and doing you know cqc for an example then to do risk assessment work you need to be honest 
on a risk assessment course to understand how you actually do a risk assessment. Um, and of course, the other part of things, of course, is clinics being well led. And that's demonstrating that you are a, a manager that can actually lead people and that you are running well led clinics. And that is, you know, something that is falling down in many practices, you know, across the UK and where people are having to uplift uh, their knowledge in areas that they haven't really spent a lot of time doing and you're quite right there's no like you know top 10 uh, because we've got recruitment that comes in there experience in that so it really is what experience have you got doing a gap analysis making sure you've got a clear job description to work from and that you're doing what's expected of you and then building the knowledge gaps that you haven't got that would be my that would be my tips on the subject. Yeah, no, fantastic, fantastic. And it's so daunting as a new practice manager. There's so much um, to be taking on and learning and you definitely need to be in a six-month induction process for that, um, you know, to and hopefully you're getting the courses and you're getting the support as well um, because there's nothing worse than just being thrown at the deep end, you know, with a title and not being able to do anything. It's frustrating. We'll move on to the next question, which is, what is the best way to handle leads through Facebook advertising? This is a massive topic, but something that a lot of people struggle with. And you really have to look at your strategy for Facebook advertising. But what I'd like to do today is just give you a few top tips to help you. We all know that whenever a patient contacts us online, whether it's for our website, Facebook, wherever it might be, they are harder to convert. And actually what we want to do is speak to these people. And, and there's the battle. I mean, it, it's a nightmare, isn't it? When you've got all these patients emailing you and contacting you and you can't even get hold of them. And most of them don't even remember who you are. That's the most frustrating thing. If you do have a phone number and you ring them. If people are sending you Facebook messages, you can set up an automatic reply. So as soon as they send it to you, they get an immediate response. You know, you can set what you want to say so thank you very much for contacting us you know and you can put please call us now you know you can put your phone number in there you can put a link to your website great um you know all these things work really well you know you can say in there please send me your phone number so I can call you right away to help you um and you can get quite clever with it there are obviously a lot of companies out there that support you with Facebook advertising landing pages lead generation but to me, the, the biggest thing you need to get is a phone number, because if you can get a phone number, you can ring these people and then you're halfway there. And I guess my top tip really would be when you're ringing these people, not to start with the obvious. So I wouldn't start with saying, hi, is that Michael? It's Law Recording from Horton Dental. Because the first thing Michael's going to say is, who? Where? Who are you? Sorry, who are you? Well, sorry, where are you calling mm -hmm. from? And it's horrendous, yeah. isn't it, Mike, when you get those calls. It's just, oh, it's awful when you're on the desk and you have to do that because you just start off on the back foot and you don't get anywhere. And they'll say, who are you? Sorry, was were you purple? Were you pink? Were you, you know, they they have no idea yeah. who they've even messaged anyway. It's really, really tough. So if you're doing a bit more of a direct Facebook campaign, which takes them to a landing page, that's going to work much better for you because they're filling in their details on that landing page. They're going to be in with your brand a little bit more. And automatic responses are absolutely key or, you know, getting them to actually select a time which they'd like a phone call. 
doesn't mean you're actually going to get hold of them, but you're, you know, you're getting there in a little bit better way. And yeah, just don't start the phone call with who you are and where you're calling from. Start the phone call, you know, talk about them. So hopefully you have some information about their inquiry, which will really help you along the way. But it's very difficult. And I would say, I don't know what you think, Mike, but I think when you have to ring an inquiry, it is not what we expect in practice. We're so used to new patients ringing us. So when we have to ring them, so many of the team feel awkward. I mean, it doesn't matter how great their verbal skills are. People feel naturally very awkward ringing these people. And it's because of the standard response that we're, we're met with. What, what do you think, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I, I'd agree with you. And I think, you know, it almost comes into the realm of cold calling, doesn't it? Yeah, and it the does, front yeah. for doing cold calling, they don't like it. You yeah. know, they're used to actually the patients calling them and not having to call back and it's the same when they have to do like treatment planning uptake calls as well isn't it anything that makes them feel uncomfortable they just don't do it very well either um the relief an answer machine message because they can just like you know go oh hi it's you know it's horizontal we've called you ah um and then just move on um and they just they can tick a list as long as they can tick a list and go well i've called them oh and unfortunately it was you know it was a mobile and uh, you know we had to leave a message and I think you're right I think you know with the changes in uh, GDR as well it's got to be very specific now with your Facebook page there is a call to action there is a number for uh, the patients to leave an appropriate number and if it's not really a mobile number now and they don't leave their name then are you going to want to call this patient anyway now because really you can't because you know if we don't know that the mobile phone belongs to you that muddies the water as well so you've got to be very clear that it's got to be you know your name your number for us to be able to contact you um and then you need a very clear script don't you to start that conversation and it needs to be you know we know that you've left your name and your number laura you know because you came onto our website to look at our orthodontics or teeth straightening or having an implant or whitening at the practice or inquiring about a new patient and um, would you like to spend more time discussing how you can do that at our practice yeah you've got to have something to start with haven't you you know an opening verb your verbal skill yeah, and then exactly. you know and also as we always say we can definitely help you with what you've inquired about is another way of starting inquiries so hi laura it's lovely to speak with you today um you know we can definitely help you with the inquiry that you've made about teeth straightening on our facebook page or to, you know orthodont you know whatever it may be um that's what you need to be saying straight away be confident yes definitely now we've got one more question which we have about a minute to answer and it the question is can you recommend books for my team now michael when i said to you this question will come through your response was i could reel off a massive list wasn't it yeah definitely go on then uh, well, reel off as many as you can in 30 30 you've got 30 seconds you know to what? reel off i'm not gonna do that i'm not really? putting myself under the pressure i'm I gonna recommend come on <laughs> i'm gonna I'll recommend I'm going to recommend one book. You know, loads. I'm going to recommend one book. And that book I read about 15 years ago, and it's Raving Fans. And there's no point just turning up to your team with a pile of books and giving it to them. You know, oh, I've listened to Laura and Michael on the podcast. They've recommended these 10 books. Here you go. You're just going to annoy your team. Start off with a great book, which is called Raving Fans. I read it about 15, if not more, years ago. And uh, it's a small book, take even a slow reader, about 90 minutes to read. And it's great and it's motivating, it's inspiring. And it's exactly what 
hopefully you want your dental practice to be like. So I'm just going to recommend that one book um, because I know what you dentists are like. You will go out and buy all these books and dump them on your team, uh, you know, Monday morning, get all excited. Um, and I don't want you to do that. If you want to look at, you know, enhancing your experience, changing your, you know, well, actually creating a patient experience, then I would start with this one book raving fans worth every penny and get everybody a copy to read at the same time don't get one copy for it to be passed around 10 people and it takes three months to happen you know buy secondhand copies if you need to they're great um and just get these books and give everybody a copy to read at the same time and have a meeting a couple of weeks later about the book and any ideas that people have from it that's my top tip which is better than a list of books in 30 seconds and that is all we have time for this month. Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you very much, Laura. And thank you, listeners. Please don't forget to subscribe so that you can find out when our new podcast is released right away. And uh, we wish you all a fantastic month. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye.